a little bit of context to why the title of this panel first. So I had a weird moment about three and a half years ago when I was kind of very, very deep entrenched into launching a brand called Savsay and kind of creating all the, all the marketing and sort of brand stuff around that to the point where I started talking in my sleep about it. And an ex-boyfriend at the time sort of woke me up because in my sleep I'd said, but every great brand has to have a story. But <laughs> But really, every great brand does have to have a story. And that's what this amazing group of people are going to help talk to you all about today. So I'm going to turn over to all of you um, to do a sort of brief introduction. Start with our token man on the panel for once. Max? Yeah, it's nice to be a token man. <laughs> Quite unusual. So I'm Max. I'm co-founder of Ragged Edge. We talk about change makers and um, as an agency what we do is we help change makers whether they're guys like yourselves so founders and startups but also change makers in big businesses right up to big kind of global industry leaders and things we help change makers realize their vision um, and the way we do that is through brand and the way we do it is through branding with substance so putting that substance and that true story right at the heart of your brand Hi, I'm Charlotte. My background is VC, so I was uh, with Index Ventures. And then after that, I founded Harper Gray, and we focus on working with early stage, high growth businesses on their communication strategy. And our sort of rhetoric is around using communications for growth. And you should be thinking about your reputation and comm strategy in the same way you should be thinking about your revenue or your hiring targets. Hi, I'm Laurence. I'm the CMO of Pipedrive. Pipedrive is what we call a mass enterprise SaaS business. Uh, we sell uh, a sales CRM to uh, startups and small businesses. And uh, well, like uh, I recently worked on uh, reshaping our brand story. So uh, I guess that we're going to uh, talk about it today. Awesome. Cool. And so I'm going to kick off with some questions, but I really want you guys to be thinking as well about questions uh, to ask um, later on. So I kind of want to start actually with, with you, Laurence, because as you said, you know, you've just been investing in um, actually thinking about your brand and the stories that you tell at Pipedrive. How, how have you sort of what's been that process and how have you thought about how you frame that narrative to create, you know, real standout? Do we have two hours? <laughs> <laughs> the kind no. of two-minute version rather uh, than no, two hours. First, I mean, Pipedrive is the typical story of a successful uh, SaaS B2B uh, uh, vendor who uh, grew uh, very nicely organically based on uh, word of mouth. So, like, we had an incredible growth, uh, completed Series A, Series B, even Series C uh, this year. And, um, and at some point, you realize that uh, even if you have like a great product and even if you are like uh, really, really good at performance marketing, which has become like almost a scientific uh, discipline, if you don't have like consistency, a consistent brand story, um, it's going to be pretty hard to uh, expand your fishing pond, uh, you know, beyond uh, the early adopter adopters uh uh, crowd. So when I joined a year ago, uh, well, like the first, uh, you know, like I, during the interview process, I do, uh, I did my uh, sort of like due diligence and it was pretty obvious that uh, the brand was all over the place. The good news was that Pipedrive has a very good reputation. The customers love us. So there was like a very, uh, you know, solid foundation. And also uh, the fact that the company was funded by uh, salespeople who decided to make a sales tool for salespeople. So like, you know, basically the story was like, it's a sales tool made by salespeople. 
So great foundation, but obviously, you know, I knew I couldn't do it myself, even if I bring like a 20 plus years of marketing and, uh, and great experience with fantastic brands like LinkedIn. So uh, I hired an agency and uh, this agency is actually going to talk uh, this afternoon uh, on, on this stage. So we just went through the uh, usual process, sat down with the founders, sat down with customers, sat down with employees and went back, uh, you know, to the company history to really understand understand what was the, the, the DNA and the purpose. And that's how we started. But uh, like, again, I could speak about it for hours. So maybe yeah. like, I can provide that. Like, I mean, more. that that leads me quite nicely on, you know, any sort of talk about getting outside help. It was something that Kate mentioned um, is worth investing in. It's something that you guys have just invested in. And it leads me nicely on, I guess, to you, Max, and, and what you guys do at Ragged Edge, which is helping brands, you know, create their narrative, their story, everything from, you know, the naming to what that then looks like, activations. Sort of how do you help brands create an authentic narrative? And what's your process as well in terms of when it comes to choosing the brands that you will and won't work with? So everything we do at Ragged Edge is about substance. And right at the heart of our business is this kind of sense of integrity. And we want to work with brands um, who've got that level of integrity. If you are a brand who um, hasn't got a great product or hasn't got a clear sense of what you want to achieve or um, there isn't quality right at the heart of the brand, we're not very good. We probably can't help you. But where we can help you and the clients that we do look to try and work with and we kind of try and think of our clients as partners rather than just clients is people that want to create change uh, and really want to change the way things are. And what we're good at and what we've been doing for the past 10 years is helping those kind of people, those guys that want to create change, articulate their story. And it's really quite simple. Um, it is about finding the truth uh, and finding that kind of core truth and what the, people, what the client, the partner wants to achieve. Um, and then turning it into a story that feels really rich and rich in substance, but also emotionally engaging too. And the other thing, of course, is it has to be distinct and relevant in the category. And I mean, you know, Lawrence, as you mentioned, Pipedrive just raised a Series C. I imagine a lot of the companies that were working with you as well, they're sort of later stage or they've got some funding. But if, if you're a very early stage company and you're trying to think about that process, you know, is it still worth investing in? What's the reality of what you should be investing in at that early stage, do you think? Yeah, I think we can do... We can make the most impact um, the earlier you are in your journey. Um, having that really crisp, clear sense of who you are right from the beginning is really, really helpful. And it stops you from making mistakes. It helps direct all your efforts. If you know what your clear idea is and your story at the heart of the brand, starting early is great. And sort of branding agencies, you don't necessarily need to spend huge amounts of money on all the identity stuff. Perhaps that can come later. But having that clear sense of, of story and the vision and the purpose and the mission, all that stuff early on is going to be super, super helpful. And it's so important because that impacts every touch point, right? And to kind of your side of things, Charlotte, and, and on the press, you know, I, I'd love to hear sort of your take on things and, and how much brands have actually, and people that are coming to you have really thought 
thought about the story that they want to tell versus actually just the press coverage that they want to land because the two aren't one in the same. No, absolutely. And I think a lot of the time people get very hung up on on media being the be all and end all. And absolutely media is important and can move the needle. But ultimately, if you haven't got a cohesive story and you're not putting out communications in a strategic way, you're 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 wasting your time and you're not getting the, the return on investment. So as uh, Max was saying, it's very important in the early days to have a really clear narrative for your business so that you know who you're, who you're targeting, who your audience is and how, how to make that emotional connection with them. Ultimately, you know, you're living and breathing these businesses, so they're your life. But the question you have to answer is, why should anyone else care? And looking for a narrative and a way to really um, communicate with your audience in a way that, that they'll latch onto will help you uh, help you with your growth. And I think the importance of that emotional part, it's something that I see often that can be quite lacking. Um, and I don't know if that's because, you know, there's a tendency not to have somebody with a marketing or a brand background in, in founding teams, I think, especially in the UK. But there is an emotional reason why we do anything, even when you are, you know, the sort of business that Pipe Drive is, right? And it's that balance of the emotional and rational. Well, actually, in the uh, SMB world, the decision is... Uh, is less rational than in the enterprise world simply because uh, you usually address one buyer and not like in, in the enterprise world, usually the buying uh, process involves several people. So like when you have several people, there is going to be more process, there is going to be more rationality. Like when it's a single buyer, it's going to become very emotional and that's where you need to uh, to build the connection and the emotion. You need to be a relatable brand, especially in the SMB business. You need to feel the pain of SMBs for, for, for which like, th this is the crazy thing, like for them, like for, in for instance, growing is not necessarily like something good. It can be seen as a pain. So like you have to understand all those uh, aspects when uh, when yeah when you talk to them. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of the time when we meet B two B businesses, they say, you know, we're we're not consumer facing. We don't need a story in the same way that a B two C business does. But that's absolutely not the case. As you were saying, most decisions aren't that rational. So. It might be that it's not per se an emotional benefit that you're giving someone in the same way you would a consumer, but it might be a professional leg up or a financial benefit. So it's just as important for those B2B brands as it is for the B2C ones. They're all still people. Exactly. It's, it's business to people. Like every business is business to people. Yeah. And, and the, the craziest thing is that, you know, when you study marketing, when you study branding, storytelling, you uh, usually refer to the hero journey, which is like the universal like story. You know, like uh, whenever like uh, you go to see a movie, it's always the same pattern. And it's the same even in B2B purchase. Like people are going to say, okay, it's the statu quo. Like I don't want to change. So like they don't want to change their word. Then they need to, uh, they, they, you know, they try and then they, they come back and say, no, actually, no, I don't want to do this. And it's like, it's absolutely uh, incredible to see like how you can map the hero journey to something that seems like very, you know, like businessy. It works, and that's why storytelling is so important. Like it's it's been there like for the uh, since the uh, like dawn of the earth, though. It still works. One of the things you mentioned, Laurence, when you started talking was about when you came in to Pipe Drive and that there was a real lack of consistency across the brand touch points, which may be a situation that some of you guys have experienced, may not. You may be sort of figuring it all out. But what have been some of the measures you've taken to change that and to get everybody on board? 
So first caveat, it's still the case. Like uh, we're absolutely not where I would like uh, to be, but uh, it's a process. It takes time. So the first thing was going back to the basics and uh, build. This is something I've done with LinkedIn as well. Build what what I call the brand manifesto. So really articulating, you know, your brand from the vision, the reason why you're here, what you want to achieve in the longer term to operational goals. And that, uh, you know, in, the, in, the, in, uh, in between you have the mission, you have the brand attributes, the value proposition, et cetera, et cetera. So we did that work with uh, multiple, um, our agency. And again, like involving the founders because it has to be true to yourself. It has to be true to your story. It has to be uh, really reflecting your values. And once we had this brand manifesto, which was basically, you know, like the foundation, uh, we uh, built uh, different layers. So like, uh, you know, uh, layers around the identity. We didn't change the logo, but we worked on the tone of voice. We worked on the, uh, you know, like different brand at attributes, like visual attributes. Uh, and then we just completed the work around the value proposition. So basically we rewrote everything in regards to the way we present our service, because the great thing is when you do this brand exercise, you're going to, to take a step back and you're going to really think of like, who you are talking to, who is your core audience? And they didn't have necessarily this, um, this, uh, you know, like reflection before. So you're going to, um, you know, revamp your messaging based on uh, your audience. And it brings a sort of like customer centricity that was missing before. And I think just to add to that, if some of the, the, the stage that some of you guys are at, which is um, probably a little bit earlier, it can be more straightforward than that. Some of the times we'll meet founding teams who will be coming at the business from different backgrounds. So you might have a technical founder and a, a sort of a sales lead or something like that. And they will talk about the, the business in very, very different ways, just because that's how they think about the business. And, and uh, early stage businesses tend to be quite insular about the way they're thinking about how, how to talk about the business. So even just taking a step back and having the whole team talking about the business in the same way and, you know, that's a great start <laughs> yeah um it's actually something that i've maybe done with some of the people here in this room apologies if so but whenever i'm doing sort of brand workshops i ask anybody in the room to and everybody in the room all sort of people who are involved in your business to write down who it is you are and what it is you do like the exercise that we did earlier right i am yet to have every single person from the team give me the same answer. And we all sort of nod our heads, but like, if we can't get aligned internally, how the hell do we have a chance of getting customers brought in and aligned around what it is we're doing? It's so important. And I think it's why, you know, brand becomes such a, a hard thing to look at because it's like, oh, I don't understand what it means or I don't know what it's going to turn into, but it is so important because of all of these elements that it allows for. Yeah, and I think a big part of that and just so you guys know, like Ragged Edge, we're a branding agency. I think if you did the same test with us, we would struggle <laughs> internally as well. Right. But I think what that shows is the, the really fundamental thing is it's people overcomplicate it. And when you're articulating visions and missions and things like that, uh, you sometimes get these like 20 word statements. And that's not going to be repeatable at scale. For anything, when you start um, as a startup and there's maybe two of you, uh, but then, so I think about um, Bulb, which is a, a company that we work with and we started, uh, just met Hayden and Amit uh, when they just had an idea. And with them, uh, it was about trying to clarify their vision and their story in literally two words, because we knew that however big they got, and they're now 200 people, 
those two words, which for them were positive energy, um, were really, really scalable, scalable. And they were something that they could talk about where there are two people, 200 people, everyone could say the same thing. And, and it was easy to replicate and easy to scale. Um, if it's 10 words, it's harder. If it's 20 words, it's basically impossible. And Bulb is right, an energy company. They don't, there's no ownable asset there, right? No, everything is brand. We all buy energy off the grid, the national grid, so we're all buying the same energy. Uh, and Bulb have built this incredible brand, I think like 400 million valuation last count uh, in what, four years? Solely off brand. Everything else is the same. It's the same energy, but what they've done is they've built an incredible brand story. Everyone knows what it stands for and people really buy into that. It's supposed to be green energy. It's green, yeah. But, but, but the way that the national grid works, they buy more green energy, but actually all the energy that comes into our homes is off the national grid. So whether whichever energy company you're using... <laughs> <laughs> but you are. You, but if you go with Bob, you're contributing to more green energy being bought. So they are doing good. He's on message. <laughs> <laughs> so I think Bob's a really interesting example because for me, you know, we sort of talked about that emotional and rational, right? For me, they're the kind of the epitome of that because there's all of the emotional elements at play. It's that positive energy. It's the fact that it's renewable and you can tell people about that and feel good about yourself. But there's also the rational like 50 pound referral fee kicker. Like that feels good when I get the 50 pound in my bank account, but also that I've been able to say switch to renewable energy, you know, and then you feel good about yourself. I get to sort of, you know, peacock and say, look guys, I've used renewable and then get a nice little sort of side bit. I guess the point being that there's still like real thought around how that positive framing and these sort of rational sort of elements can help enhance it. Yeah, every great brand is a combination of rational and emotional. And we talk about hearts and minds. To give, persuade anyone to buy into your product, uh, you have to win the heart and you have to win the mind. Human beings, we pretend that we make decisions rationally. Mm -hmm. And so we need that substance to back up our decisions. We need to be able to say, oh, I'm buying this because of this. But every single bit of evidence that we know, like um, neuroscience and stuff, is that human beings make uh, decisions based on emotional reasons, using our system one brain and not our system two. So you have to have both. No, I was just, just going to say the other thing to remember this also applies to is one of the biggest pain points for high growth businesses is hiring. And when you talk about a rational and emotional, there's a huge competition out there for the best talent. So thinking about your brand and your narrative and what, what it is you stand for and your mission can also really play into that when you're building your employer brand and can actually mean the difference between being a, a business there which people want to work for um, and, and that not means that you can really win out with the best talent. When I was at LinkedIn, we uh, ran that survey about uh, purpose at work and uh, found out that 50% of uh, employees would be able to trade part of their salary to work for a purposeful uh, brand. So that's that's really like a, a very important uh, factor of hiring. And I think that, you know, um, working on your brand, your purpose, where you're here, it's not only like for employer branding, it's not only for the communication, but it's also going to uh, help you define your strategy, your go to market. So like it's to me, it's really, really uh, a key, uh, a key element of, uh, of business growth. And um, the other thing I wanted to say is that when you've done like this work around like, you know, defining your brand, articulating uh, your purpose, your vision, your mission, you're not even like half of the way 
down. Like uh, you have to make sure that you maintain that because it's very easy to do that work. And usually there is a lot of enthusiasm around this work. But if you don't have like a very strong brain, I mean, if you don't activate your brand internally, because people tend to simply activate their brand externally, if you forget to activate your brand internally, you're probably going to end up in trouble. Totally. And it's um, brands like, and so we work, we've got Ollie in the room, I think, from Trussell uh, is another, maybe he's not, is he somewhere? Third. He was. <laughs> he heard I was speaking and uh, <laughs> <laughs> did a runner. But Trussell is another really good example of that. Um, and then we helped them uh, rebrand uh, earlier this year. And a big, big part of that was coming up with an idea that would work internally uh, as well as externally. Those guys want to grow and they want to grow fast, like all of you. And so they needed a single organizing idea that would help inform their hiring, their internal culture, their service, all that kind of stuff, almost more importantly than what their logo looked like and what their tone of voice looked like. And much of our work with them was all about what that internal idea would be. We've talked a bit, you know, about great stories and how important it is. And I don't know if you guys were here earlier, but I sort of talked about Pepsi and how they really don't tell very consistent or, or great stories. Are there any brands you guys have come into contact with or, or seen that you think are, are really not telling good, consistent stories? Yeah, I, I think it's useful to kind of see. I mean, I may be putting you all on the spot if something doesn't come to mind, but <laughs> I'm not going to do like an M dropping, but uh, there is a bank who has fantastic, <laughs> fantastic ads in all airports and I travel a lot. So, you know, like when I moved from France to the UK, I was looking for a bank that was like a global bank, uh, <laughs> but with lo a local touch. And I loved their ads. I, I, I found their ads were like fantastic. And then at, as, as a customer, I mean, the experience was appalling. So yes, sometimes like people, you know, like, and, uh, and that's also why you have to be true, uh, you know, like tell a true story because this is like the worst that can happen. I mean, that's the epitome of you can't polish a turd, right? If your product's crap, it doesn't matter how much shiny advertising you do around it, people are going to leave. And, and I guess on the sort of flip side of that, if you've got an amazing product that works really well, but you've got a really crap internal culture, if you look at what happened with uber to they're bound to come up at some point you know i think they obviously in the early days built built up an amazing brand and also an amazing employer brand as being you know high growth you know the best talent everybody you know really giving it 110 percent. and then it became clear that really it was growth at the expense of everything else so they sort of tipped over and, and went the other way so i think yeah that's another example of you know, even if you've got a great product, if you have difficulties and problems within the brand, it, it can it can lead to issues. And it gave like a fantastic opportunity to their competitors. So like Lyft really, you know, like uh, leveraged that bad reputation. I read somewhere that uh, Uber had to spend 200 millions in Canada to rebuild the brand reputation. So like the cost is like tremendous. I guess that leads me on as well to kind of ask, I guess, Charlotte, I'm pointing at you a bit here, but crises and, and they happen. And I guess, you know, you guys not quite yet are on the scale of an Uber, but you know, there, there are still crises that come up and how to navigate that. And how much do you sort of invest in, ah, oh, something went wrong and shit's going to hit the fan and we should have all guns blazing and sort of be prepared to deal with it. Or, you know, what's your sort of experience? There? Well, I think with most businesses, there's the obvious things that you can scenario plan for. So for example, data, breach type issues or if you're a brand that works with children or if 
um, you know, things that are, that are very obvious, which you can scenario plan for. There's always going to be things that happen that you're not able to control. So I think when responding, to, first of all, that's also why it's important to invest in your brand and your corporate narrative in the first place. Because if you've got a strong brand that people love, you're in a much stronger position when something bad does happen. But I think also what's really important is to be particularly now, you know, we were talking about people wanting to work for companies with, with missions and believe in companies with missions is to be authentic when those things happen and respond and respond to the right audiences. So, for example, if something's gone wrong, you know, with your employees or something's gone wrong um, with your customers, think about responding to your customers first not and then worrying about the media second if it turns out that you've just put all your energy into sort of smoothing things over and spinning with the media and not actually gone and spoken to any of your customers about, or you know your relationship managers haven't gone out and spoken to your partners that's actually more damaging than than dealing with the people who matter first so I always encourage people to think about, you know, what does that sort of waterfall look like if you're dealing when you're dealing with these crises, who are the most important people? Who do you need to get to first? And also who who's who's who do you need in that room? You might need to make decisions very very quickly. So, you know, having having a team on speed dial who uh, who can make those decisions and react very very quickly because speed will be important too. I think the other thing that's really important is um when companies deal with these crises uh, they obviously think shit comes. Let's start talking about. Let's like weasel our way out of it, and they might weasel their way out of it in a fairly authentic way that's true to their brand. But whenever you're dealing with these crises, 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 which is it? Crises. <laughs> whenever you're dealing with these, whenever you're dealing with people, isn't it? <laughs> We're all of us talking about how much we can communicate and stuff. We can't even say the word properly. Whenever you're dealing with these problems. <laughs> Issues management. Yeah. Issues management. There you go. <laughs> they, they are problems that have happened because of operations and of the organization. And any amount of communications isn't going to solve that. And you have to put actions first. And I think, you know, we always we bang on about it. Branding with substance. The substance has to come first. There's no point in telling your customers that you've changed. There's no point Uber rebranding, spending how much money they spent with Wolf Hollins to rebrand and change the logo and stuff. What do you stuff. think of that? What do I think of it? Yeah. I actually... I kind of, there's a, um, the design geek in me really, really likes it. It's really crisp, really clean. I understand the intention and the way to just put distance between all the bullshit of the previous regime and just come back with something really simple, own black. I'm into it. Uh, ironically, coming back to Uber, I think that uh, the, uh, the, the talk of their new CEO from Expedia was like far better. Again, if we come back to this like hero journey, like at some point the hero is always injured or like, you know, like in a very weak position. And, and we know that vulnerability is actually a very powerful, you know, like engine. Again, you have to be authentic and true. But if you say, okay, guy, I screwed up, but I genuinely want to fix it. I think it works very well. And, uh, and yeah, so. But you have to follow up and fix it. Yeah. It can't just be your talk. Did everyone see the Uber rebrand the other week? No, people who I've did. I've seen it on your phone. Yeah, it's, it's, it just popped up on your phones on the app. <laughs> did, people who have seen it, did did it impact you? Did you care? Yes, no. Shaking hands. I, I couldn't find the app. I, I couldn't find it because I reached for the the U and there wasn't one. 
I mean, to <laughs> me, it's the kind of, you know, exactly to what you guys are saying. It's a, if I read the sort of branding brief that went in behind it, I'm like, oh, I like that. I get it. If I look at it and then think about impact and how they're living and breathing that, do I believe it? And that's fundamentally the bit that's important, right? And it's going to change people's perceptions and help repair a lot of the damage that's been created around that brand's operations and how they've been behaving. Do you guys have any tips before I open um, up to all of you about sort of like processes people can take away you know if they're not at the stage where they can bring an external help or just exercise or anything they can do to be thinking about this sort of stuff internally and what that could look like um the way we look at brands so when we're starting to work with new clients we look at four things uh, and i think if you guys go away and you look at these four things you're going to be in a good position so first of all we look at culture so what's happening in culture that's going to be relevant to our business? We then look at the competitor set. So what's everyone else doing? Where is their white space? Where can we be distinct? Where is there room to be distinct? We look at the audience and we ask what is relevant to them. And then we look at the business and the brand and we say, okay, well, what's going to be true? What's uniquely true about our business? And we call this like the four circles. And so we put those four circles together, kind of make a bit of a Venn diagram. There's a space, there's a bit in the middle where all those four circles overlap and that's your brand. And if you can have something that's um, relevant to culture, distinct from your competitors, relevant to your audience and true to you, you've got a really powerful brand. I think probably for me, and it sounds like this is something you do as well, Natasha, when we go in and, and do workshops and office hours and things at the accelerators, the most useful exercise is often just the one-liner exercise. So actually getting teams to sit down and and write down in one line what their business does. And so I think if you can all get on the same page and how you can talk about your business, it's a really good start. And then I think the other thing I would say is from a media perspective, it's so crowded now, the the sort of stand, startup and tech landscape, that you do get very few moments, uh, very few little airtime. And probably that will come for you guys when you make some sort of funding announcement. So that's really the time when you need to be thinking about, you know, what is our messaging? What is our narrative? You'll get one moment and one moment only to really to say that to the world. So make sure you know what it is before you go out there. My advice would be start early. It's not because you're growing very nicely thanks to a good product or because you're a master of product, uh, performance marketing that you don't need to uh, think of your brand. Actually, you may end up in a space where you're going to spend millions in protecting your brand in search. And that's not a nice place to be. So yeah, like don't forget that uh, you know the Google score is also about your brand authority. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you all so much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave us a read with your thoughts on our show.